0: Welcome to Le Pape scientifique, uh, 11 minutes and with me today is Tasha Stanton, Associated Professor here in Adelaide Uni SA Um, and uh, I'm Bart van Buchem. I'm your host today, I'm a pain specialist physiotherapist and can just start start the conversation. Yes, Welcome, Tesh. Thank yeah. you. Thanks
1: for having me. It's
0: a, it's a pleasure. So you have been a guest before.
1: I have, yes. Time. And that was very fun, so it made me very excited about this. But
0: yeah, let's go over it. So I'm just going to hit the um, the 11 minutes. So sure. we know we're going to be as um, comprehensive, but also short. Short and short. short, <laughs> short. Yeah, there we, there we go. 11 minutes is on now. So, Tesh. Um, we, we just had discussed a bit on what topic would be nice to go, because we can go anywhere. Uh, but the things that excites us, and I know your research has been on context and illusions, mm-hmm. and, and especially in a the, in the clinical perspective. So other things, yeah, that excite you at the moment about that area?
1: Yeah, I think I, I always just get really excited about the extent to which sort of random contextual cues that seem to matter when people don't have pain if they still exert that same effect when people do. Mm. So some of the studies, I I mean, that I thought in the last little bit that have been kind of cool is we got to work with dentists and explore some of our illusions in people who had burning mouth syndrome. So they get burning pain in their tongue. And we use that kind of contextual cue of color of changing it blue. And we found that it actually reduced the burning pain in their tongue. So I think I just find the extent to which our systems are complex just amazing and the fact that this still seems to have an influence in people with pain.
0: So let, let's step back sure. for one moment. So illusions or bodily experiences I would say or well, how does it relate to pain? So I think there's still discussion going on. What, what, what will be the, the, well let's say the statement from science in yeah. uh, to what extent we can say this actually is something that is about pain?
1: Yeah, well I think there's a kind of, it comes at it from a couple of different angles. So one is, I mean, we look at the sensory modulation literature, so the idea that information from one sensory source can modulate or change information from another. So there's some evidence to suggest that vision of your own body um, can modulate or change potentially nociception and the experience of pain. And so that's one aspect, I suppose, that um, makes it sort of relevant and and that link in between illusions and and pain. Um, Another, I think, interesting aspect is some of the work in predictive processing. So the idea that, you know, um, all of our experiences are shaped by um, information coming in from the body in terms of sensory input, but also our priors, our our expectations, our past experiences, but that those priors are potentially determining what is sampled in terms of Mm. things that we don't expect. Are the message then that is coming up from sensory inputs, and so in my I guess idea, that becomes quite interesting in the context of illusions because we're creating sensory input that people don't, don't expect.
0: So how far would like sensory, I would, yeah, sensory experiences like touch, mm-hmm. like vision, taste, smell. I think that the research has been really comprehensive on. We know and you can show it, you can demonstrate that, mm. and it seems to be very much equally to most of the people. Mm. but when it comes to pain, I thought it was, was much harder to find this let 's say this average or the, mm. the does it does it account to all people mm. so is there still this area to, to discover? Mm-hmm. And whether it's sensory information or experience, experiences, are, are they actually the same as, an, a, pain, as a pain experience?
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think part of that may also relate to this aspect of um, the salience of some of these things. Mm. So for me, I guess, uh, nociception might be more salient. and. Perceived as as more important than potentially mechanical input for touch Mm. Mm. And so I guess I wonder with some of those experiences that are really quite salient whether you're right There is maybe a difference in the ability of other input to influence it Or maybe it's more variable or there's a reduced ability merely because actually that's that's a really important signal if it's keeping us from damaging ourselves or, or undergoing injury. So I suppose that I would argue that we probably still are trying to understand, first of all, the extent to which that has the uh, capacity to shift or change an experience of pain, but also I get think the individual contributors for that unique person and the degree to which perhaps they weight that sensory information that's coming in. Because we do see that Oftentimes, some people respond a lot to our things like illusions, whereas we get others that don't. Um, And I mean, that's part of science is to do enough control conditions in there so that we're quite certain there's actually something, but still being able to capture that, I guess, individual differences in effect.
0: So can we discuss two conditions then? Um, What about sound compares to or with Combined with pain mm. conditions, so what is typically in sound? So we going to did a nice paper on that, actually, yeah. on
1: yeah. on
0: the the was it the the creaky
1: back, the creaky back. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. can
0: give you can you give some ideas or insight in how that relates to clinical work?
1: Yeah. Well, I think we're honestly probably at an early stage with sound and putting it into place clinically, um, but. We, I, I did a little bit of work with um, Charles Spence, and we looked at the available li- literature of how sound relates to movement, mm. because oftentimes that actually is really relevant because when we move, when we do something, there's a sound attributed to that. If we you know, throw a ball there and it hits the floor, we're expecting a sound based upon our action. Mm. If we rustle, all of these things temporally Sound and movement and even mechanical stimuli, touch, is often paired together. So right away our systems are very used to having those things paired together. So sound gives us information about our movement, about what's happening to us. So I think in that sense there's ecological validity to looking at links between sound and how our body feels and potentially sound and, and pain if, if that's relevant to a movement.
0: Or combining it with a painful Movement, for example, yeah. Would, is that is that the clinical angle you should take, or
1: I guess some of so the study that that we did paired it with paired different sounds with pressure applied to the back, and we were showed that that pairing different sounds could could alter people's perceptions of their own back and in terms of how mm. stiff it felt. Um, I guess I would argue that some of the literature and sound, what it suggests is that this is one of those context things mm. that that sounds that are paired with our movements are potentially important so clinically if someone's doing that big groan getting out of a chair that's maybe a relevant thing for us to think about because if they're doing that every single time they're getting up they're creating those you know strong pairings that they might not even be realizing
0: so to to that to that example you say we're trying to make a different sound for example could that be
1: an advice can make it like like, (laughs) (laughs) yes it it could be it could be even just the the active decision to remove and not not make more negative sounds like the big grunts bad sounds maybe just consciously saying, I'm not going to make that sound when I'm getting up, that might be something in and of itself. And I think exploring, I guess, some of the possibilities of sounds, that does really excite me because, um, I mean, sounds give us so much information. Like even when you have sounds that are, you know, going up in pitch, like, that is paired often with lifting, like we picture Mm. that as part of lifting almost semantically. So whether or not we can use that in terms of enhancing motor performance, enhancing movement in people who do have painful conditions is really interesting to me. So even if it isn't influencing maybe the pain itself, it's influencing movement quality, it's influencing the ease that they feel that they can move with. Um, And I think all of those things kind of have yeah interesting clinical implications
0: well, we might touch on that later in the extended version so so now the second one is a vision yeah so how that clinically could be applied as a part of perhaps um, part of a, of, of, of a diagnostic or even yeah. treatment part how what is your what's your opinion yeah. or your well, I think the, on that?
1: probably the key thing is that we should use looking at your own body, looking at the skin of your body to our advantage when we can. So there's evidence to suggest that that, that can be analgesic. And so I think that's really relevant. And we have clinical data showing, um, for example, this is in stuff that was um, led by uh, Benedict Wand, that if people with chronic back pain, for example, can have vision of their own back while they're moving, it hurts less while they're moving and the time that it takes for their pain to ease and return to normal levels Mm. is shorter. So I think right away vision, we can use that to our advantage. We might be able to use things like bendy mirrors so we can you know play with convex, concave surfaces to change Body size. So, mm. in many conditions, um, changing the size of the body um, can make things hurt less, and it, that can be a little bit of an exploration because we do see that there's differences um, based on the condition, whether a bigger body looks uh, hurts less or a smaller body hurts less. Mm. Um, but I think there's there's potential to play there.
0: Yeah. So you would rec- you would definitely advise for like a, a a clinician to to explore what vision does for example
1: I think it's a it's, it's a really it's quite yeah low-hanging fruit to try
0: it is yeah I was wondering whether it, with, like from the clinical point of view or even um, it desi- clinical decision-making or the um, getting yourself into a diagnosis but it's, it's a mm. different angle I guess again to sort of mm. reframe
1: mm. what
0: what does it mean to do an assessment mm. so it's less explore it's more yeah. exploring rather than making a clinical diagnosis yeah. again like back pain is back pain but is back pain plus yep. people would have responded to a visual input yeah. in a different way you compared to another person. So would you find, would that be an interesting way to see how that moves Mm. to more descriptive diagnosis than Mm. like clinical diagnosis?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think that's, it's a really lovely way to sort of frame how we might look at individual (coughs) contributors. Oh, we just made it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, We nailed Uh, it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I think like looking um, for, an individual person and kind of mapping out for them what sort of things contribute positively or negatively to their pain experience during movement for example and that, that's a lovely I think aspect of context in action um, but also in terms of you're right kind of moving away from this idea of one cause and looking um, in a real way within a person into these numerous contributors
0: yeah so from an more clinical diagnosis to a descriptive diagnosis of this is this person, this, this person has mm. suffered back pain but he responds mm. to this in sound X, and, and this is few or this is how they, I, I can see that work out mm. quite nicely. Um, I think it also connects very well with the RESOLVE trial uh, mm. where also the features of this has been included so mm. for the listeners it might be interesting. Uh, hopefully, this paper will come out at some point. Um, and, uh, it's been under oh, review forever,
1: so here's hoping. Yeah, that's
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for the podcast listeners, um, we're going to wrap it up now. Um, if you like to see more of this conversation, which will be uh, extended, you can go to lepupscientifique.com and you can sign up so mm-hmm. you can see more of this. For now, thank you for listening and see you next time. Or see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>